Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the JB Show. This week I have on Elliot Meltzer, who's a mindset mastery coach, master hypnotist, writer, and empowerment who has specialized in working with fears, anxiousness, and depressive thinking for over 14 years. He empowers you to become self-aware of your untapped natural abilities to make your life more fulfilling and powerful, helping you develop a successful blueprint for your life. Now, let's get started. Okay, welcome to the show, Elliot. How are you? How are you today? I'm great. Good, good. I'm great, yeah. That's good. So I wanted to know exactly how did you get into what you're doing right now, which is which is like a mindset mastery coach and a master hypnosis. Hypnotist, sorry. Yeah. Well, I suppose my life experience led me, led me here. Um... Uh, when I was a kid, and actually really really up until recently, say in the last decade, I had um, anxiety all the time. And um, that became kind of the platform for how I lived my life. My, my mom had anxiety, and so I kind of percolated in her anxiety since I was, you know, before I was born. So in my younger years, that kind of led me down the path of wanting to figure out what was wrong with me because I thought something was wrong with me. And I ended up moving in the direction of studying psychology for that reason. I wanted to understand why people behave the way they do, why people think the way they do. And and initially it was really kind of focused on trying to figure myself out. Um, and as I became better, as I changed and healed and all of those things, the focus became more on helping other people. and kind of eliminating and reducing suffering in the world. And that's where I, my focus is, is today. Now, because of my... I originally wanted to become a psychologist, but I kind of self-sabotaged my way out of that because of the anxiety, really. I was just too afraid and too overwhelmed. So I, after my bachelor's degree, I ended up uh, working in corporate for 17 years. And during that time... I started to rediscover, as I was still going through healing and changing, I discovered, I tried a whole bunch of things to help myself. I tried the medical model, you know, pills and psychiatrists and social workers and all kinds of different things. But the thing that worked well for me, I also did alternative things, energy, shamanic work, and hypnosis. And the thing that really left an impression on me was hypnosis. because that was really close to working in the mind model that I really uh, wanted to work on as a psychologist as a, in, in the psychology field. And so it kind of moved me back out of the corporate world thinking, okay, I can go back to helping people, which is really my passion, and uh, I can do it quickly, and I can do it without years and years of sitting and talking to someone about stuff, which didn't work for me. Um, it works for some people. Medication works for some people, but there are other ways of doing things more quickly, more easily. And especially in this world of everybody wanting to biohack and mind hack and find faster, better ways to use their brains, hypnosis as one of the tools 
that I use is the way to cut through all the all the crap and get get to the core of the problem and change it. Okay, so just going off from that, like how does how does it how does hypnosis work? If I, and you know, it seems like a really big question, but like I guess a basic idea of how it works. Okay, well, so let me answer that in a in a more let me let me answer this this way. Okay, okay there's there's kind of different ways to answer that question. So, a lot of people misunderstand what hypnosis is, and it's so the best way to define hypnosis is both a state and a process. Okay, so generally speaking. Hypnosis is a state of consciousness that's characterized by a heightened state of awareness, uh, self-awareness specifically, self-focus, and it's also a state where you can learn more easily and more quickly. Some people call that suggestibility, but really it's a heightened learning state. So you're, another way to define it would be you're accessing your innermost mind the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, where everything you've learned is stored, all your memories, experiences, your feelings, your beliefs, your values, everything is there. The way that's kind of the foundation of your mind. The conscious mind is kind of the piece on top of it that filters the world and that really protects you based on all the things that are sitting in your unconscious that you've learned through your life. So by accessing, by using tools, which is why it's a process also. There are hypnotic, there's a hypnotic process. You can use various kinds of tools, various kinds of ways to access the unconscious to engage and create these states of mind that allow change to happen more quickly. Okay. <clears throat> so there are really two ways also to um, talk about hypnosis. There are two kind of main ways of using hypnosis. There's a direct method and an indirect method. The indirect method is actually used very often by people without them even knowing it. Uh, politicians use it, um, salesmen use it, good storytellers, good presenters use it because a good story puts you into a state, right? And that state, whether it's, uh, you know, you can use humor, you can use fear, which is obviously not a professional way of doing it, mm -hmm. unless you're certain politicians in certain areas of government right now. But, you know, you can trigger opening these kinds of states in order to make change. I don't know if that answers your question. I think so. The more direct method is what people think is, you know, you're getting sleepy, yeah. you know, you're going to feel this or think this. And it, 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 you see that in the movies, and perhaps on some level you see it in stage hypnosis, but it's not the same in clinical hypnosis. In fact, movies are crap, right? And, and stage, you can compare the two, clinical and stage. There are similarities. Um, but in both cases, there are a lot of things happening outside of that. My approach is a, com a combination of the two, using conversational, storytelling, symbolic, creative, imagery-inducing approach and a more direct approach. It really depends on the client I'm working with and the work that needs to get done. Okay, so this is a little bit more of an open-ended question because there's no, there's, there could be millions of answers, but 
what can hypnosis or hypnotherapy like what can it help deal with like okay. some examples like obviously there's lots of things that could probably okay so there is really no no one's found a limit to how you can use your mind and what we're talking about is using your mind to control your body right so you know when you come into the world you don't come in with a set of beliefs you're you're trained you're programmed and children up until the age of seven are really in uh, their brains are developed only to a point where they're experiencing the world through certain kinds of brain frequencies right they're really hypnotic states so you're you're constantly bringing in information you're learning about the world you're experiencing it for the first time the earliest stages of learning and development are really through hypnosis as we get older we have all this foundation that we've built and we start to experience the world through what we've learned, through our beliefs, through our values, through what, all of this stuff that people have told us we should believe and we should think, you know, about people, about religion, about hair color, about uh, how to talk, how to walk, all those things we learn. And we don't just learn them because people told us, we learn them because we've experienced them. So, you know, you, you watch your parents to learn how to walk and you just kind of copy it. And you also watch them to learn how to to um, stand, for example. The interesting thing is, though, that there are certain ways you can... The brain is programmed to experience certain things in connection to your physiology and, of course, in, in connection to the way you think. So you and I might think about snakes differently. You might be afraid of snakes. I might not be afraid of snakes. But the, the snake is not the, the thing that's different. It's you that's different. The way you think of snakes, the way you've experienced snakes. And that's all in your mind. So mental health things can be addressed in your mind. We store emotions in our bodies. Emotions have a significant impact on physical health. Of course, mental health but also specifically uh, physical health. When you change those emotions, which you can do using hypnosis, by changing your thoughts, and by uh, working specifically with the emotions, and how you deal with specific situations, because that's reflected in your emotions, which then affects your behavior, you can pretty much change anything. There really isn't a limit. It's commonly used, hypnosis, for example, is commonly used for things like weight management and stop smoking and pain management. Uh, it's also used to make people more comfortable with medical procedures or to prepare for surgery. You can use it to build confidence. Athletes use it. In fact, it's heavily used in sports. Um, there are, there's at least one hypnotist that works for some of the NBA teams. Okay. Um, Tiger Woods has used hypnosis. Famous actors like Matt Damon have used hypnosis. It's very commonly used to change. And so, it, like you said, it, this question can be answered in, in very different ways. But the bottom line is that there is no limit to how you can use hypnosis. There's no limit to how you can use your mind. So you're using your mind when you're creating states. Right. So it's an open-ended question. It's kind of a long answer yeah but the the bottom line is there is no no one's discovered a limit for how you can use it okay so does, does it work right away or does it take 
longer to to make take full effect. Can you be more specific in the way? What would you mean by it? Hypnosis. You know? So when you're trying to deal with something like, let's say, anxiety, how long does like to how long does that take? To how long will it take for the hypnosis to help deal with that anxiety? Okay. Well, people are not textbooks, and that's right. part of part of the way you have to look at it when you work with a client. You have to look at how it is they're presenting whatever it is they're presenting and in what situations they're presenting like. So some people are anxious all the time, like I was. Some people are just anxious or nervous in specific situations. Um, confidence might be another, maybe an easier way, because anxiety is one of those things that you can experience all the time. And hypnosis can help you with that. My anxiety is 100% gone, and I'll, I give all the credit to hypnosis. Um, of course, there were other things I used, and... I give credit to those too, but the the meat of it was hypnosis. Um, let's talk about confidence just to make it easy. Okay. You're probably, uh, the average person is probably confident in some situations and not confident in other situations. Once you can identify, for example, where a person is confident, you can help them move that confidence from one situation to another. You can also help them look at the situation where they're not confident differently by helping them change their beliefs by becoming more self-aware which is really the core of what I do using hypnosis and NLP and coaching and energy work all the different things that I do helps people become more self-aware when you become more self-aware you begin to realize you have more resources naturally than you're than you're really paying attention to or that you're utilizing and when you begin to realize that, that self-awareness, allows you to become more present. So you can become more active instead of reactive. Right? Okay. So these are things you can teach people. Right. So, so it, it can, it depends, so it's basically dependent on the person, right? Like, it, it sometimes it'll work right away, but sometimes it, it, it can take months. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it would take months. Therapy takes months. Hypnosis right. tends to work quickly. Okay. So okay. it won't work in one session. It so can. It, it can. can. But sometimes it takes multiple. It can. That's right. Okay. Because sometimes people will come in and say, you know, I have, I'm feeling anxiety if we're using that as an example. That's, yeah. That one might take a little longer. Um, because anxiety tends to be attached like it has many branches to the tree. So you might have, because of anxiety, you might have issues with self-esteem or confidence or... Um, it might be anxiety that applies in a social situation or a test situation, right? Test anxiety, social anxiety. Yeah. But you're fine when, when you're with uh, your, you know, your family, say. But you know, you're not really good at asking girls out. But you're good with your guy friends. But you know, you know, my my 12 year old son, for example, he's he's very relaxed. He's very confident. Um, but when we start talking to him about this girl that he likes, you know, he starts to blush and he starts to change. And she's kind of like that, too, because we've seen her act. And their mother will call us and say, you know, such and such is freaking out because <coughs> she's going to Wonderland with your son. Yeah. Right? But then when she gets on the phone with, with him, she gets all cool, you know, calm and relaxed. Yeah. Hey. Right? That kind of thing. So um, depending on the situation, depending on the person, of course, depending on the person that you're working with, like the professional that you're working with, right. 
like I have a lot of tools in my toolbox and uh, you have to be able to utilize what the client is giving you and incorporate that into what it is you want to do if your hypnosis is not one of those things some professionals look at it this way and we don't have the same opinion you can't just use the same hammer to hammer every nail right sometimes you have to use a different kind of hammer sometimes you have to use a different kind of tool you you have to move at different speeds you have to see what's in front of you and work with that so but it can work and with a good hypnotist or a good coach it it can work very quickly okay do you find that when you deal with people who are i guess that we'll say younger like in their late teens so like 18 19 it's it's easy not easier but because you said earlier that your brain's develop your brain's developing develops at a younger age right so by the time you're in your 30s it's very much like the way you think is very much developed so you find it harder to work with not harder to work with those people but it takes a, a little bit more time to work with those people who are tend to be a little bit older okay so people who are motivated to change yes change more quickly okay who have a strong desire to change um, people who can follow directions you know not just with hypnosis but as a coach people need to be able to be coachable and that really means can you follow directions can you listen can you can you uh, step out and step up um, it's true that over time we build up this baggage because we have more life experience and we spend a lot of time living our beliefs and building strong habits, which is something that makes it easy to live, right? Because we want things to be unconscious. Th- those, habit- those habits, those habitual behaviors are unconscious, things we don't think about, we just do it. I find with younger kids, they're, they change easily. <laughs> I pause because the challenge I find is more so not with the people, not with the people, you know, younger people. It's their parents that don't change. Yeah. Right. So, you know, parents are teaching their kids constantly and you learn how to be from them and they give their issues. They pass their issues down. Right. So if you change and you're still living at home, for example, and you come back home, you're a different person. Your parents don't change. It creates a, a certain degree of conflict. And that can be more challenging because, um, which is why I like to work with the parents. If I'm going to work with someone who's younger, I need to work with the parents because they need to understand they have issues too. And their kids are adopting the way that they do things. And it could be as simple as the way that they talk, the way that they walk. You know, um, you and I have talked about this before. You know, if you ask the typical person, how does a confident person walk? They'll tell you shoulders back, they breathe more, they stand up taller. Uh, a depressed person will typically slouch down, breathe right. more shallow, uh, talk more quietly. Now, if your parents are depressed and they talk that way and they walk that way, you can adopt that kind of behavior. And the brain typically understands that behavior as sort of, let's talk, you know, depressive behavior. So. You may not even know why you're, you're that way. Um, if you begin to change your behavior, they may not change their behavior. If I, when I talk to the parents, I might say, well, you're, you talk and walk this way. I'm kind of using a, 
a limited example, the way they think, the way they talk is also going to influence them. Body language is important, very important. But the way you talk to your kids, if you're always a negative person, the person, the child I'm trying to work with, or the young person I'm trying to work with, is constantly exposed to that negativity. Right. And that exposure creates habits. You're surrounded. It's like listening to music you just can't stand. Right. You're 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 standing in a, around a bunch of speakers that are just playing this crappy music, and it hurts your ears. Right. And it causes aggravation inside you. Even though you have better taste, you know, even though you like different kinds of music, if you can't control the speakers, then it's hard for you to manage the, you know, the keep to hold the change. It, it, it upsets you even more. Okay. So you got to get the parents to say, look, you've got to change the music sometimes. Maybe playing a different kind of music, yeah. you know, talking differently, recognizing there are other ways to look at things. That's part of the, the exercise of making them aware that they need to support their children differently. Now, of course, young people who don't live at home, much easier, right? They have less life experience, um, so they can train their brains better. The big problem is really that most people don't realize they can train their brains. You know, you train your body, you have to train your brain. Right. If you're not happy with who you are, it's not because you don't know how to be that person, it's because you don't, you have, you don't have a trained brain that helps you to be that person. Okay. Okay. So, you said that it, it works differently for everyone. Like, the hypnosis works differently for everyone. Have you ever had a case where it just, it didn't really work as well? Like, it didn't really work for that person? You've done the hypnosis, but it just didn't, didn't really work for them? There are times when people need more explanation. So if you're of average intelligence, if you're motivated to change, if you recognize you're responsible for the change and you're part of a team with your, uh, with your practitioner, your therapist or your hypnotherapist or your coach or whatever, and um, if you can follow directions, which is kind of key, you'll have an easier time. Some people just need to experience a certain degree uh, more pain. You know, the pain of change has to be less than the pain of staying the same. Um, in thousands of clients, I've probably had two clients who really I, I had to stop the session and say, I, I, it's not working. And those people were actually on this, the same day. I actually think it might have been me because it was the same day and I was using the same process yeah. with both clients because it was a specific thing they were asking for. In this case, it was uh, past life regression, which is a more kind of a spiritual approach to things. And neither of them had, they, were, they, they weren't able to experience what I was suggesting that they experience. Now, the interesting thing about that is one of those clients has referred many clients to me since, even though I stopped the session and I yeah. said, I, you know, we can't, I, I can't help you. This isn't working. This isn't, you know, the right approach for you. So because I said that, and there's a certain amount of integrity, you know, you have to know when you hit your limit, when it's beyond your scope of practice, and refer out and just say, I can't help you. So um, there are some other situations where I've had to over-explain to clients and maybe explain differently so that they could understand what I'm asking. 
and as long as we could get over that hump, I've never had a problem. Okay. So, other than hypnosis, have you, what other type of tool? I know you said at the beginning that your preferred tool is hypnosis, or we, we had talked about before we started recording, but what other types of tools do you use during your sessions? I guess I could umbrella everything that I do as uh, as a coach. And under that umbrella, there's there's hypnosis, right. there's NLP, there's energy work like Reiki, for example. Um, there are other techniques like tapping, and um, there's a whole lot of tools that have various names in the toolbox. As I use them, I integrate them all. Okay. So it's not like I use one, like take a pill, or right. just use this process for this person in this way all the time. It's being present with the person and then integrating all of those different tools and pulling out the right, uh, you know, the right card from the deck. And sometimes you're using multiple things at the same time. So um, most people misunderstand NLP more than they misunderstand hypnosis, for example. Okay. So NLP stands for is an acronym for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And it's a methodology or a practice that focuses on understanding how people organize their thinking, their feelings, how they organize information, thinking, feeling, behaving, language, behavior, um, how it's done neurologically, because we, the brain codes information. We take it in through our senses, and it's coded in the brain in specific ways. And then we interpret that information, and we attach language to that. That's the linguistic aspect. Right? We, we have to interpret it in a certain way, give it meaning, make a story from it so it has value to us or no value, depending on you know, how we choose to interpret that. And there's a, that's the linguistic component. And then the, the programming part is how, it, how you express it in the world, how you behave. Right? Yeah. So there's a certain way to swing a golf club. And there's a, all kinds of steps that most people don't realize that are part of swinging that golf club. It starts with not just how you stand, but it's how, how you feel, how you're thinking, what you're visualizing, how you're breathing. All of that stuff is part of the formula that creates the process of swinging a golf club. And when you become more, with neuro-linguistic programming, for example, you can help someone become more aware of that and help them then recode that information by changing, you know, steps to get very literal. You know, let's say there's 20 steps you determine that there are in your process. If you change one of those, you know, step six, you may you replace it with something else. It changes the whole process and the brain codes it differently, right? Or you rearrange some, step, some steps. Um, so that's, that's kind of neuro-linguistic programming. The focus, too, one of the, one of the goals, too, is to model success and model excellence, which is different than the medical model, which is looking to understand the problem better. In neuro-linguistic programming, you're looking to understand the solution better. How do successful people become successful? How, do, how does someone play golf well or play hockey well? Study that, break down the steps, and then you can teach that to someone else. That's called modeling. And that's really the pinnacle of NLP. So 
you know, the nitty gritty is being able to change all the pieces that allow you to code it. And then the goal is to become a better you, right? Mapping yeah. out who that is, whether it's modeling somebody else or getting clear on what you do that you don't want to do or that you want to do differently is the nitty gritty of that. Energy work, the other thing I mentioned, everything is energy. You and I, this table, we're all made of energy, right? We vibrate in a certain way, <coughs> right? Words have a vibration. Um, cells have a vibration. Our bodies are made of electromagnetic energy, right? There are two things that kind of exist in our body. There's, you can either change body through drugs, right? The chemicals in our, in our bodies, or, or energy, electromagnetic, bioelectric energy. So you can affect that change use using techniques like Reiki, which moves energy. Um, there are other techniques like Reiki, healing hands, therapeutic touch. There's all kinds of ways that people have labeled energy healing, right? Chakra balancing, um, focusing on the energy vibrations of the different organs or the different parts of the body that some people call chakras, right? Um, you can move energy and change energy with tapping. Emotional freedom technique is one of the ways of doing that. So you can, there are originally Chinese medicine uses, used and continues to use things like acupuncture, right? Now you can tap the points of acupuncture. The original developers of what's called tapping tapped the points instead of needled the points, right? You can tap the points. And it's become more refined so that you can use specific techniques, like I use faster EFT, which taps specific points and focuses on um, specific emotions or change that you want to make and disrupts that energy that's held or that represents that emotion or that thought pattern. You can, do, you can use that, for example. So, and that, those are just some of the things. You know, there's standard coaching practice, good questioning, right? Right. Um, all of those things are part of the practice that I use. Okay. What would you suggest to people after your session? Like, what can they do outside of that to continue? Because you said it's it's all about discipline, right? Like, it's all it's about continuing that that mindset of what you want to what you want to change. So I know we've talked about a couple of things like there's the Wim Hof breathing technique that mm -hmm. you can do daily that, that that helps. So like what other things are there that you suggest to people? Okay, so let's talk about principles rather than rules okay. because there are many systems, right? And those right. are made up of rules. And we learn well when we have a process, right? We also learn well um, experientially when there is no process, right? You don't You don't necessarily need to understand how to have a conversation or how to parachute you, you know, if you're going to skydive, you jump out of the plane. Hopefully the guy who you're attached to knows what he's doing, but, you know, you don't know what the experience is going to be like until you do it. Um, but we learn well when we have a process. We follow steps and we just um, implement those steps. So there, there are many ways of looking at that. That's rules. What I mean by principles is... What these things have in common is you repeat them, right? You do them on a regular basis, you're consistent with them. And on top of all of that, you need to get really clear on what you want. 
you have to ask yourself, what do I want and why do I want it? Good questions is the core of being able to build your direction for where you want to go. And when you have that, then any tool that you use will help, will work better. You know, if you want to get up at six in the morning to do, say, Wim Hof breathing or to do self-hypnosis or to do meditation, you don't want to get up and spend your, your time, you know, being negative, saying, oh, I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, uh, why did I do this? Uh, it doesn't feel right. What am I doing now? All of that, by the way, is uh, a form of hypnotizing yourself in a negative direction. You generally need to have a plan before you do it. So you wake up in the morning, you just jump into your plan, right? Um, there's something, for example, called the five-minute journal that I've used and I've referred to clients. It's not the perfect tool. Um, if I was to write it, I'd do some slightly different things with it. But as, as tools go, it gives you a process that you can follow. You get up, you open the journal, you follow the prompts, and it will lead you along a certain path. The point is, do something, right? Pick up somebody's process, even create your own. But begin to do something and do it with purpose so you know where you want to go, in other words, what you want and why you want it. And just start. As you start, you're engaging your focus, you're building a habit, you're experiencing different things, you're changing your brain. Ideally, you're focusing on positive outcome, right? You want to feel good. And part of the process that I would recommend is focus on your state because your state decides how free you're going to be, how good you feel about life, how you approach situations, how you deal with relationships. We've learned just the opposite, right? In school, they teach us, you know, you got to finish that project, then you can feel good. You, you know, you can feel good after the test. You know, you can feel good when you get married. You can feel good when you get that great job. You can feel good when you get that promotion. You can feel good when you retire. There's never a chance to feel good because you're always going someplace to get to feel good. Right. The goal needs to be to feel good first. Because, and let me ask you this question. Do you think you make better choices when, you f when you're in a better state of mind or in a worse state of mind? In a better state of mind. Most people would probably answer that question exactly the same way. So it makes sense that you should cultivate a better state of mind, feeling better, so you can make better choices. And when you make better choices, the probability, <coughs> pardon me, the probability of having a better outcome goes up, right? There's nothing woo-woo about this. There's nothing like, uh, you know, non-empirical about this. It makes perfect sense that the better choices you make, the more likely you are to reach the results you want, to get the outcome that you want. And to make better choices, you need to be in better states. Right. So focus on your state. Get up in the morning, do something that makes you feel good. You know, you, you could do uh, mind things, like the five-minute journal, where you're asking yourself good questions, setting good intentions. You can do Wim Hof breathing, which is get up and do the specific breathing process that feeds your brain all the happy chemicals, that changes, that wakes up your physiology, that activates your immune system, that causes the blood to rush, right? It gets you, it gets you up, it gets you going. And then you can also, you know, add things together, like doing affirmations or positive thinking exercises, let's call them. 
asking yourself good questions, setting intentions after the breathing because you've just fired up your physiology. He also has a, uh, other parts to his process like cold therapy, yeah. but a lot of people don't want to jump into that. You know, cold showers no. just don't appeal to some people. Yeah. But if you do the breathing and then you jump in the shower, you're awake and oh, you yeah. feel good. And you know, something about the day is just much more powerful even though those first few seconds of the shower aren't the most comfortable for some people, you get used to it. And you don't have to take a completely, you know, six minute cold shower. <laughs> you can do like, you know, 10 seconds on, 10 seconds off, or 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. Again, rules, right? Right. You can go and find a bunch of books, watch a bunch of podcasts, and people will say, you know, this is do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. The point is, pick a way, right? Start with a way. If it doesn't work for you, change it. If you need to tweak something, do it. Don't get hung up on the on the rules because that's what holds you back is, oh, I didn't do this right or it's not working for me. Tweak it, change it, do something different. Surround yourself with people like uh, you know, a support group. If you can't, if you find it hard to do it by yourself in the morning, then get a, uh, a group together and I'll get up at the same time and do it on a Zoom call. There are lots of people that do this, personal development professionals that do this. You can get on a call with like 70 people or five people as long as they're in the same mindset as you. You know, they have a purpose. They know what they want. Because if you don't know what you want, you're always going to fall off the track. Right. Right? you got to get clear. And it's probably the hardest thing to do. Yeah. If you ask someone what they want, they really won't give you a clear answer because they haven't really thought about it. And that's unfortunately not what we learn in school. They tell us what we want. People tell us what we should think. Because we don't, and we don't really learn to think for ourselves unless, you know, you're surrounded by the right people. We end up fixing that as we get older. Um, but mostly our, the typical parent, especially when I grew up, are constantly telling your kids how to live. You know, my mom was, and I'm not criticizing my mom or judging her, uh, it's just the way that she knew how to be a parent. You know, if she was cold, or she thought it was going to be cold, she'd say, put on a sweater. And I might say to my son, because I remember that lesson, I don't tell him to put on a sweater because I'm going to be cold. At a certain point in your youth, you know, you have to guide your kids and protect them until they recognize that they can make decisions for themselves. But now, say he's 12, both my sons have 110 and 112. If they if they go outside, they're going to realize it's cold. Yeah. They can put on a sweater, right? I don't have to keep telling them to put on a sweater. I want them to learn for themselves to make good decisions. One day they're going to walk out into the world and going to have to make those decisions. Right. And you can't just, you know, cut them off. Okay, you're 18 now. Go make your own decisions. Bye. You have to have trained your brain. And you have parents have to help kids with that. Part of being a good parent is getting rid of your own shit, right? Facing it, realizing that there are things about you you need to change. And if you don't change those things, you're teaching those things to your kids, even accidentally. And you know that because your kids are a reflection of you. And then you get all pissed off at them for being a reflection of you. Right? Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> kids are wonderful that way because they show you what you're showing to the world. They're just m modeling you. So if there's something you don't like, 
you getting pissed off at them is really rejecting. It's doing two things. It's rejecting a new human being who has nothing to do with you, and they don't know why you're rejecting them. But more importantly, you're rejecting that part of yourself that you don't like. And, and that's where we get into mental health problems because we cut ourselves off from ourselves. Instead of dealing with embracing and offering love to that part of you, we reject it. I don't want to be that way, so I'm going to put you in a closet, right? Or I'm going to ignore that part of me, and I'm going to stuff my face with food, or I'm going to smoke a cigarette, or I'm going to do drugs, or I'm going to get addicted to this or that, right? Or I'm just going to work my ass off so I don't have to think about it, right? I keep something to avoid dealing with that part. But thankfully, there's that part of you, your unconscious, your deeper inner core self that wants to fix you, right? That, that wants to live in a better state. So it keeps knocking on the door. And if you don't listen the first time, you can develop, you know, simple problems. You get tired. You just don't, you don't feel motivated. After a time, you get aches and pains, right? Yeah. Uh, you might develop mental health issues. After a time, if you don't deal with it, you might get some physical manifestation of it. It's just energy that forms into a tumor or it forms into a cancer um, or diabetes or something. That's not to say you know, that it's, it's that straightforward, but there's certainly evidence to suggest that when you're, that stressful bodies tend to be more ill over time, right? So it's common sense, feel good, make better choices, Take care of yourself differently. Focus on yourself, yeah. right? The discipline, the daily discipline, whether it's the Wim Hof or the journal or the going to the gym. Um, there are many ways to do things. You could uh, do self-hypnosis techniques, which involves feeding your brain with positive, th positive thoughts, doing visualizations, imagining how your day is going to go. Really important. If you have meetings, sit and imagine how that day is going to go. Uh, if you're going to do a test, sit and visualize how that test is going to go. We already do it in negative ways. Oh my right. God, I'm going to fail. Oh my God, yeah. I didn't study enough. Oh my God, I'm so nervous about that meeting. Well, you're training your brain, just not in the right way. Right. You have to intend in a different way. You already know it works. Because you're doing it in a negative way and you're getting exactly the outcome you pictured. I knew it was going to go that way or I knew I was going to fail. Well, try it the other way and notice how it works differently. Right. So I kind of want to go off of something that you brought up in there is that a lot of people, like, they don't deal with their, their problems. You kind of mentioned it a little bit. It's like there's no right answer to this question. It's kind of an opinion-based question. But why, is, why do you think there's a stigma around dealing with any mental health problems that you may have or seeking out help because until recently it seemed like for for my age group so the social media the people who are on social media it, it there was no push to go find to go deal with your problems it was kind of just like let it be and it wasn't until recently when they put out there was the the statistics about like depression, suicide, especially in like teens and and getting into the adult years, where when it increased a lot, they they started pushing you out. Why don't you you should do this? Like now there are obviously a lot more resources that like governments are putting out there to help deal with this. But 
prior to that, why do you think there was so much? Why there was a stigma around trying to? You know, why don't you go deal with the problems you have? Because you'll feel so much better if you actually do. Well, I guess part of that is culture. Right. Historically, our parents and our grandparents. I know my parents and and uh, grandparents had this philosophy of sacrificing for the family, of working hard. You know, you don't stop working unless you can't work. And the focus was typically, uh, that meant physical disability as opposed to mental disability. So when uh, we talk about something mental, psychological, even spiritual, there seems to be some sort of, or there used to be some sort of uh, association to weakness emotions are weak and you can get into gender biases about this too you know right. women are weak because they're very emotional which is all bullshit right emotions are what make you human right life experience is what makes life interesting and you know emotional intensity is what anchors things in our experience that's why traumas are traumas and that's why you know ecstatic exciting experiences do the same thing they they create this huge emotional intense um, aspect which allows us to, to anchor it in our memory strongly you don't remember probably the first time you ate breakfast when you were four years old because it wasn't that exciting but if there was a spider in your cereal you would remember yeah right because it triggers an emotion um, so I, I don't want to say common sense but a more a logical way of thinking, a more rational way of thinking, which perhaps is how we're beginning to look at life now, is that emotions are what makes us strong, not weak. Thinking is what defines our behavior. How we process information is how we d is is something we understand better now, as being a key factor in how we handle stress. And stress is mental. Of course, there's physical stress, but it's the mental stress that that drives us into the ground or drives us into new heights, right? This is perhaps why we're moving away from these old ways of thinking, which didn't have science behind it, into new ways of thinking, which are driven more by science and experience and observation. And strong performers who are talking about their experience and how, you know, A leads them to B. Okay. So would you say all these, the things that we had talked about before, like the journal, the, the breathing could all be used in that same sense with dealing with people who aren't as comfortable as, uh, aren't as comfortable expressing their emotions? Could you use that, that same philosophy or those same techniques in that way? Or would, would that be something completely different? Okay. When, if I understand your question correctly, it's, I think it's asked this way often. Yeah. Some people the way you said it is some people have a problem experiencing their emotions. Right. I think I'd like to ask it differently just okay. so that I know that you're, we're on the same page. Yeah. Is it that people have a hard time experiencing emo emotions or certain emotions? Because I find it, the tendency is for people to experience negative emotions. Like people are okay with feeling anger, right? Nobody says, oh, you have, uh, anger seems to be more acceptable when you yes. react to a situation than joy yeah right? so i think i was asking in a way as like from this is from what i've seen I, I don't know for a fact that 
when it comes to like if you're sad or if you're upset you're like no one wants to hear that not a lot of people want to hear about it so you tend to keep those emotions in and then you see there's people who do want to hear about it but you choose not to tell them because you've dealt with so many people who don't care or don't want to hear about it so how do you deal with change how not deal how do you change that mindset from saying you know what there are people who want to like listen to to like how I'm feeling and maybe they'll help me deal with that emotion instead of sticking with I'm going to keep quiet and then have that same emotion and deal and not deal with however I'm feeling that's kind of what I was getting at okay well there's another aspect to that that I'm reminded of by an experience I had with one of my bosses and and also the way that I grew up being happy is something that and it's still the way in some cultures you know if you're too happy people think there's something either you know it draws a lot of attention to you and they if you're too happy you must not be working hard enough right right so you can't talk about how happy you are <laughs> right so that's an old way of thinking and um, I mean one of my bosses did that to me once when I used to work um, for an automotive company and uh, I was practicing uh, positive ways of thinking and my boss once came to me, and he, he's a sociopath. Or he was a sociopath. He probably still is a sociopath. <laughs> but cause he really didn't care about people. Yeah. Uh, he had no... And, and, and sometimes people are just programmed that way. I mean, we can get into deeper discussions as to whether you can change everybody and how far you can change them. But in his case, he, um, he just didn't realize that people had feelings and that they couldn't work until they dropped... So one day he, he came up to me, knowing this about him, um, one day he came up to me and he said, why are you always smiling? And there was no good answer that I could give him <laughs> that would not end up with more paperwork on my desk or some other job or some, some, something not, not positive. Right. So my answer to him was, it's the medication. <sighs> and it was the only, I wasn't taking medication at the time, but it was, you know, humorous enough and you know, sort of off the cuff enough that it made him laugh and he didn't ask me anymore and it didn't end up, you know, causing me grief. <laughs> because it's acceptable to be on meds and be happy, right. right? But it's not acceptable to be happy any other way, at least certain ways of thinking. And you're right, in other schools of thought, it's not, you know, people don't want to hear you complain. The key is going to be recognizing that you need to surround yourself with people once you know what you want, okay, again, you've got to know what you want. And that, that's not just, I want this job, I want this degree, I want this family. You also have to decide, how do you want to feel every single day? How do I want to feel today? How do I want to think today? Those are key foundational things that are part of your daily discipline. How do I want to feel today? What do I want to experience? When you ask those good questions, your brain will start looking for the answer. And so where I'm going with that is, because I can get back to that, but to answer your question more specifically, you need to surround yourself with the right kind of people that support that want, that support that desire, that think the way that you do, that want the same things you do. So when you have a supportive circle, then you can share your feelings in a safe way, in a way that you feel safe, right? People who uplift you and people who you can uplift, right? You can be there for each other. So you can talk about your stuff and they can help you see it differently. You can share your joy, and they'll celebrate it with you, 
right? Those, that's, that's probably the best solution. You've got to surround yourself with the resources, in this case, people that you need that are going to uplift you and bring you to where you want. But again, we go back to what do you want, right? And, and again, specifically, knowing how you want to think and how you want to feel are really important. It's, much, it's very secondary to say, I want this degree, I want this much money, I want this car. You have to know, I want to feel this way, I want to think this way. Today I decide and I intend to find joy. And your brain will start to search, because that's part of what part of your brain does, it'll start to search for ways to experience joy. Whether it's reminding you of specific memories that you haven't thought about in a while, or somehow drawing your attention to something that you might not have noticed because you weren't focused on joy, you know, you're going to find all the shitty drivers on the road if you drive around going, <laughs> right, grumble, grumble. Yeah. You'll road rage because you'll find the asshole on the road who cuts you off. Yeah. And you'll focus on that guy. But if you look for the joy, you'll find the joy. If you decided today, to give you an example, that you wanted to buy a camera, suddenly you'll start noticing billboards with cameras, commercials with cameras, conversations with cameras, people holding cameras. Why is that happening? It's not magic. There's a part of your brain that helps you focus your attention that way. It's called the reticular activating system. There are other parts of the brain too, but that's a well-known, a, a better and better known part of the brain that helps you focus your attention on what you ask for. But again, what are you asking for, right? I want to feel joy. I want to think this way. I wonder what kind of happiness I can find today. I wonder what kind of difference I can make today. You know, I wonder how many people I can make smile today. If you set your intention and say, I'm going to make at least one person smile today, guarantee you'll find a way. You won't even be thinking about it. You'll forget about it. You'll be standing in the coffee shop and you'll say, I like those earrings to the person who's serving you coffee. It'll just come out of your mouth. Yeah. Right? You'll make them smile or you'll crack some joke. It will happen because you're, you've decided to trigger those programs in your brain or the resources that you need to create that experience. Okay. I, I get it. No, okay. It makes okay. sense. Okay, good. Um, you there's, said a, there's a lot there. I realize, yeah. you know, there's so many ways we can go with this. And, you know, I appreciate the questions that you're asking. They're giving me a lot of room to, to touch a lot of areas. Um, you know, the challenge is to be, you know, how specific and there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot, but the core is really the principle manage your state, be disciplined, right? Yeah. Find something and do it regularly. Um, decide what you want. Be passionate when you do things. Like don't go half-assed into anything. Because if you go in with half-assed you know, effort, <coughs> you're gonna get half-assed results. Even if it's something that you don't wanna do, if you've decided it needs to be done, yeah. then go in and do it all the way. It's the only way that you're going to know for sure, because you can fail and you can succeed. But the only way you're not going to look back and say, well, I'm not sure whether it was because I didn't do my best or whether because I just didn't know or because you know, I was misinformed or because I had an accident. You've got to eliminate the factor of your effort, right? Yeah. Do your best and you can never say, I failed in the same way as, you, as you're going to experience regret when you say, well, I didn't do my best. So, you know, I suck. Well, you suck because you didn't do your best. Uh, that's a little harsh, perhaps. But 
if you do your best, you come out of a situation and let's say you fail because people are afraid of failing. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, if you come out of a situation where you didn't get the result that you wanted, which some people call failure, in NLP we call that feedback. If you ask yourself the question, did I do my best? You did your best with what you knew, with the resources you had in the, in the, at the moment that it happened, you know, with all the tools that you had at your disposal. What else is there? Maybe there's something you didn't know. Maybe there's something you learned from your experience that you wouldn't have otherwise known unless you had that experience. That's not failure, right? You did your best. You can't blame yourself for doing your best because that's all you've got to offer. Right. So you've got to go into a situation and do your best. If you don't know what that is, it's the same thing as going all in. Just do it, right? Yeah. I don't know how to ask this girl out. Well, start with hi. <laughs> or, you know, I don't know how to play. There's no training for like, there might be, I suppose, you know, training how to talk to people. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, you can go train to play hockey. Yeah. Right. But you can also just get out on the ice and skate. And skate. Right. All your training is not is still not going to make you a great player. It's all your experience that builds on your training that's going to make you a great player. Right. Right. And doing it properly. Doing it properly comes from experience. Yeah. 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 You know. Now you can experience things differently. You can experience it in your mind, which in many cases is just as good as physical experience. But the motor skills don't develop unless you actually do it, right? Right. I wanted to touch on something you said you wanted you would expand on uh, about changing people, like changing everyone. Wait, how can you change everyone? You said something about change people who don't want to be changed, who don't want to change. Right. right, and how far can you go at with changing someone? Like, wh what did you what did you mean by that? There are different ways to influence people. Right. Some people change without realizing they're being changed, but that's also because they don't know what they want. It's harder to change someone who's very clear and strong on what they believe. Right. Um, and what they want to accomplish. You can change those kinds of people better by asking them good questions. Okay. Um, politicians impact people, for example, by talking in generalities. That's, that's actually um, an NLP technique. Uh, people define what are called nominalizations differently. So success, confidence, power, those kinds of things are things you can't put in a box. So uh, we might talk about it, love, right? Uh, these things are, so a politician will say, you know, we, you know, we want to uh, accomplish this growth by implementing this process. I've said nothing, right? What's a process? What, what process are we talking about? What, what do you mean by growth? You know, what's the, success, what's the measure for success? I haven't said anything to you. But politicians talk that way because the people are listening will define the people that are listening will define it differently. Right. So you can do, you can influence people that way. Having said that, uh, not everything works for everybody. People are influenced differently. You can be influenced and then fall back to where you were before if you don't act to reinforce that and build habits from it. So you can go to a Tony Robbins um, event. You can go to take a workshop and walk away with a high, 
But if you don't do the work afterwards, it's kind of like, you know, you can go to the gym and work out for six months and you build your six pack, then stop going to the gym and get back to your one pack, yeah. right? You've got to keep working at it. Defining what you want and why you want it will help you stay motivated enough to keep working at it. Okay. And yet, again, some people don't want to change. They're not ready for change. They don't know what change means because they're not clear on what it is they want to change or what it is that's on the other side. Okay. So they're afraid to change. Right. You know, what, what, am I, what am I going to be without my alcohol? What am I going to be without my anxiety? Who am I going to be? A good coach, a good hypnotist, a good professional can help you define that so that you can let go of all the reasons that are blocking you from change. But yet some people don't want to change, and that's fine. That's where they're at. It's not up to me to decide or to judge where somebody's at. Okay. Does that does that answer the question? Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I wanted to talk about something we talked about a couple times. We didn't really go into it, but we t mentioned it a couple times, which is like a positive mindset or a growth mindset, which I know are two different things. How, how would you define what a positive mindset is? Because positive is a, can be a subjective word. Everyone can think of what positive is right. on their own. Okay, so... What you choose to define it as is, is what works for you. Right. I would tend to define positive or negative differently. I would say useful. Is it getting you what you want? If it's not getting you what you want, then it's not positive for you. It might for somebody else, but not for you. There are variations in the way that people use words and the way, process, the way they process information. What's positive for them might be slightly different. So that's why I focus on the idea of a useful mindset. What's useful for you? Is it getting you what you want? If it answers that question as a yes, it's positive for you. We're going to assume that we're not talking about, you know, psychopaths and people with perhaps severe chemical imbalances, um, you know, people who have been programmed specific ways that are really not clear mentally, right? We're talking about sort of the general population. Right. That's a different conversation. Yeah. Does that, how does that, that's that's a positive mindset. I guess that's what I would rather define okay. as a mindset. Your growth mindset would be um, more about, um, the school system has tended to, to, to define what a, at least in our area, has tended to define what a growth mindset is. Um, for me, a growth mindset begins with the belief that you can always become more than you are. And the, the rest is process. Yeah. But w would you say that a positive mindset and a growth mindset are kind of related in a way? Because you, if to have a growth mindset, would you not have to be have a, po have a positive mindset as well? Good question. I would say the positive mindset helps you achieve a growth mindset. Right. Or let's see if we turn it around. No, that's about that's how I would say it. Okay. A positive mindset helps you achieve a growth mindset. So they don't they don't have to be necessarily You could say a growth mindset is a kind of a positive mindset also. I mean a negative mindset isn't going to help you grow. 
Right. Well, that the uh, grow in a negative way. Let me take that. Yes, that's right. You will still grow. Not right? in the way you want. Right. Okay. Well, again, you're right. So growth mindset, we can grow in any direction, right? Yeah. So again, that's that's another example of a word that can be defined. People are using it in a specific way, but really it means more than that. Yeah. Growth, you can grow up, you can grow down, you can grow sideways, you can grow upside down. The way that the school systems are are starting to adopt this kind of idea of growth mindset, what they really should be saying is a positive growth mindset. Right. Right? But they're not. They're calling it a growth mindset. You can grow in a negative way. Through negative experiences, you grow. We grow through our mistakes. You grow. Yeah. And you grow in a positive way sometimes. Okay. Right? You can argue that you grow in a positive way all the time because as you add experience, that experience helps you become better. Right? You know what you don't want just as much as you know what you want. So, so you can one can say that even your the, the terrible the most terrible experiences will give you something that will help you move towards positivity. So contrast, or knowing what you don't want, helps you know more what you do want. That's kind of a law of attraction kind of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I know we've taught. Maybe the answer is the same, but what would you say for for people to do to keep that positive mindset? And especially because today you'll see, I think you brought up like the news. Most of the news is negative, but they'll t they'll tend to put that nice, nice, fun type of news event at the end of the broadcast. So with us, with what I would consider a society that's filled with a lot of negativity, what would you tell people? What would you say to someone to keep that positive mindset? Some of the things I've we've talked about already yeah. well don't watch the news that's the first thing I would say okay keep in mind when you're watching the news you're stimulating multiple senses your vision your, your visual your auditory and then some of the, the some of those things will trigger kinesthetic like you know they'll show you gross things that will make you feel things but people like to feel even though they might have a hard time feeling it they'll go to a horror movie or they'll go to a comedy because it makes them feel something Right, you go to a sporting event and you scream at the top of your lungs, but you'll never do it anywhere else, yeah. Because people want to feel something, so they use it as an excuse. Your te your team wins, and you use it as an excuse to express your feeling, yeah. Because people want to feel something, but they they need to find an excuse so that they can justify it, so no one then calls them out on it. You know, you can go and high five some stranger after the Raptors game, and it's okay. You know, you'll go hug a stranger, and no one will say. Hey, buddy, get your hands off me, because you're you're doing it. We have a natural inclination to want to be close and to want to be emotional, and the problem is we we we're not taught that that's a healthy thing. Right. The fact that it is. So, back to cultivating a positive mindset. Really strongly is about your state. You have to manage your state. So. Daily exercises or regular exercises. When I say exercises, I mean mental and emotional. Physical, of course, because you've got to move your body. That also creates good chemicals in your body. Breathing does that. Wim Hof does that. You know, you don't have to go, if you don't go to the gym, if you're one of those people who just doesn't like to go to the gym or isn't ready to work out, then start breathing. Do, um, you know, there are different cultures that have different breathing modalities. 
different ways of breathing. I like Wim Hof. Tony Robbins has an approach too. I use his too. When I get bored of one, I go to the other. Uh, these kinds of things change your state. When you're in a better state, it, for me, it really comes down to these three things. And if if you know if a person gets nothing else out of you know what I want to teach them is better states create better choices. Better choices create better outcomes. Right. When you have better, when you have more choices, you're not typically as you're not stuck, right? You feel better because you have your your feel freedom. You know you have more options. Options create freedom, right? Yeah. Better states create better choices because, first of all, you're using more resources in yourself, right? You're using fuller your fuller potential, fuller capacities. When you're healthier, when you're not tired. You think more clearly. You have more energy. You can do more things. When you do more things, you're more productive. You're more successful. You feel better. You kind of, you know, they, they roll into each other. Better states, better choices. Better choices, better outcomes. Better outcomes, better states. You can do it in that. You can roll it that way. Or you can roll it in the other, dire- in the other direction. You know, worse states, worse choices, worse yeah. outcomes, worse states. Yeah. Just go that direction. You can choose. You get to choose. In terms of practices, there are there are many. Cultivating the state requires doing something. So start small because often when you take on too much, you tend to quit. Yeah. Right? So start small. Find people that can support you. Surround yourself with positive people. Of course, that has to be part of what you want. So again, go back to what you want. If you start at the very beginning of this whole process, you need to answer your own question. What do I want? Whether it's, I want to think this way, I want to feel this way, I want to get this car, this boat, this PhD, this job. But it starts with what's inside you. How do I want to think and feel? How is, who is the person I need to become in order to achieve the outside things that I want to achieve in the world? Right? What, what kind of difference do I want to make? How do I want to show up? Those are questions you need to ask yourself. Those are the ways you cultivate a positive mindset. If you ask yourself why questions, why am I so stupid? Why do I keep screwing up? Why does this keep happening to me? Those are bad questions because your brain will give you the answer. Right. You'll, it'll, you'll, you'll change your focus to answer those questions in a negative way. You can flip the questions, you'll get a different answer, right? What you focus on is where you put your energy. And that's what increases. Okay. So how young would you necessarily say you'd start implementing this type of positive or positive growth mindset? And what what skills would you have to have at the different age groups? Like I guess what we what we were just talking about is good for someone who are in their teens because that's 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 a skill that by that time they'll be able to do think pot like they'll be able to have those type of thoughts but for kids that are younger like you haven't like what would you say like that it would be nice if children started from pre-birth right and that requires that parents fix their stuff right so that when they're because when you change your you change your mind you change your body you change your physiology for women especially but I shouldn't say that because men are part of the creation process also, right? They just incubate and inside a woman for nine months. But that incubation period is, you know, you're, you're percolating 
in whatever biochemistry that person is feeling. So if they're constantly in fear, or if they're constantly taking drugs, or if they're in anxiety, or if they're in joy, the more stress, less stress, the child's biochemistry is developing in that, right? So you want your child to come out ideal so that they have the best opportunity to be successful and happy in the world. That means parent needs to change before right. they before they conceive, right? So my answer for that would be zero. Start at zero. It, Ground right. zero is zero. And right? it's a lot of what we were talked about before, right? But, like, but if your parents weren't that way and you need to start somewhere in your life, it's never too late. Right. There's one of one of uh, the creators of NLP. His name is Richard Bandler. He has an expression. He says it, he says it's never too late to have a happy childhood, because you can always change the way that you think and remember things. So, you can change at any point in your life. Changing your beliefs about whether you can change is important. I have uh, something that I like to focus on, which is which I call useful beliefs. What, what you believe is going to make it easier for you to change or not. So if you believe, oh, I'm too old to change, that's right. If you believe it's never too young or never too old to change, that's also right. Because that becomes the foundation for whether you change or not and how much energy you put into change, right? So right. your beliefs can change at any point. Recognizing what your beliefs are comes out of the process of determining the kind of person you want to be. So, yes, it's easier when you're younger because you, has, you have less life experience, but you also have um, more time on your hands, right? You know, if you're still living with your parents, you're, you know, you don't have to worry about taking care of your, you know, the food on the table necessarily. Uh, you have the time to define who you want to be better. And then, of course, you build those habits, you build that physiology, you build that mindset and you you step out of the gate better. Right. Right? As you get older, that doesn't mean you can't change. You need to stop at some point and say, I've had enough with who I don't want to be anymore. But that means you that means you want to change. Right. Right. And sometimes it's the pain of it becomes there's more pain in staying the same than there is in the unknown of change. Sometimes you need to have that pain. And okay. sometimes you need to generate, sometimes it's the pain that drives you and sometimes it's the pleasure. There's something called away motivation and toward motivation. So away motivation is running from pain. Toward motivation is moving towards pleasure. Think of it like a grenade. Away motivation is running from a grenade. You don't care which direction you run, you just gotta get out of the blast zone, Right. right? But you don't really know where you're running, you don't have a plan, you just get out of the way, right? Toward motivation is, I want to go that way, or I have an escape plan, right? If, if, this, if the grenade blows, I know that's the safe zone, and I need to go in that direction, right? That's the kind of thinking you want to cultivate. That's the kind of pre-thinking you have to have so that, you know, when shit happens, your brain audit goes into automatic pilot and does what you want it to do. Right. As opposed to all the other things that you've learned to do that you don't even realize that you've learned. Right. Um, an example might be when a child falls down and, you know, they have a bloody knee. Typically what they do is they look at their parents to see how they react. 
which is really them saying, how should I behave in this situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. If the parent goes, oh my God, you fell down, oh, it's terrible, blah, 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 right? Yeah. The child's gonna learn that that's how you react to the situation. Yeah. But if the, if the parent does something different, oh, it's right. okay, stand up. You know, the English would say, have a cup of tea, it'll be good, right? Um, or, you know, they, they, they hug you, they comfort you, they make you feel safe. You deal with stress differently, you learn differently, right? So, you can change at any stage. You need the right support system, you need a process, you need to work from principles so that you work with the right process. Those principles being, what do I want? Um, useful beliefs. Uh, regular thinking, regular behavior, so discipline. Um, recognizing that running from the grenade is generally not you know, what you want to do if you're just running in any direction. Right. You, you need to know where you're, where you're going. going, right? Sometimes pain is your motivator. Sometimes you need the trauma. The way that I work is I, I educate people to realize you don't need the trauma. Or you can create the trauma in your mind, right? Make it so painful. Tony Robbins does this in his work. Make it so painful in your mind that you want to move away from it. Clearly, it's just in your mind. Yeah. We have traumas that affect us from when we were children. They're letting go and realizing that it's, you know, you're no longer being raped or you're no longer being beaten or that car accident is long over, right? Or you don't have to be like your parents. In my case, I learned from my dad, my money mindset developed from him mostly, which was work hard, get sick and die, right? He was an entrepreneur and um, he died when I was 17 because he believed in sacrificing for the family and you know he was never around but that was his belief system but in 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 the stress that he created for himself he got sick and you know in his later years he was more around but mostly because i was seeing him i was visiting him in hospital um and then he died so my my mind was and over time we went from being sort of more in the middle class like we had more a little bit more money we didn't have to think about it to my father worrying about putting food on the table. And so I, my mindset developed about, you know, money doesn't, wasn't a good thing. Because I working hard for money, um, getting sick was associated to money, all of these things stopped me from attracting wealth. And once I learned that, I was thinking that way, I changed it, right? right. Just using money as an example, everybody yeah. loves money. Right? Everybody wants money. Yes. So your relationship with things depends on your relationship with your beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, okay. That's, that's pretty much all the questions I have. Uh, did you want to give like people your contact info, info like your email or phone number? And like, I can put it in the description as well. Well, because they're your audience. Yeah. People can call me at my phone number. They can text me. They can email me. And I'm happy to talk to them. We can have a consultation, a free consultation. They, I can answer questions. We can talk about what they want. We can talk about how and if I, what I do yeah. can help them and if it's right for them and if 
I'm right for them and they're right for me. Right. Because it is a two-way kind of, you know, relationship. I used to be working, I used to work with pretty much anybody because I wanted to just help everybody and save the world. Yeah. But realizing that I can't do that is a, is a, is a good thing. That savior or martyr mindset is not a helpful mindset. It's my father's mindset, right? The, the savior, work, sacrifice yourself. You know, you can drown for people, which is more the martyr mindset, drown with people, which is the savior mindset. You, you go down to where they're at. You think that that's the, yeah. the solution. Or be the lighthouse and keep calling people to you, right? So I tend to work with people who are more focused on performance, you know, performance enhancement, whether it's in business or athletes or people who just want their lives to be better. They recognize my life needs to be more than this. I, this everything's mundane. Like, there's more to life than this. Or I want to make a bigger impact on the world. I want to leave a legacy. I want to do something to be the best that I can be and show other people how to be their best as well, right? So they can call me at my phone number, which is, at, or text me at 289-716-9669. And uh, they can email me at Elliot, which is E-L-L-I-O-T-T, at balancedbodymindspirit.com. And I'll put that in the description. Sure. Just and I'm happy to talk to them. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great thing to be able to live your passion. Um, corporate was not my passion. I learned a lot. Right. I met some great people. I influenced some great people even. Um, it was kind of painful at times. <laughs> Especially because it wasn't what I was do what I wanted, and that right. created a lot of stress, and and some illness in some cases. Um, but living this passion, I can't tell you how amazing it is to make a difference with people, and it's it's something I recommend everybody do. Figure out what it is you want to do in the world. Figure it. Figure out what it is you want to feel. Figure out what it is you want to think, and the kind of person you want to become to make the changes you want to make yeah. and do it. Even if you just start thinking about it and don't do it, it's better than not doing it at all. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay. See you guys next time.